Hallelujah. Why don't we stand together and give him praise this morning? From the depths of your heart right now, just give him your praise. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy that brought us to this moment in time. We thank you that you're God over every situation and that you're our God. And we love you from the depths of our heart. You're wonderful, Lord. You're a wonderful Lord. How we have looked in, in ex expectation for this moment this morning, for this time again. Lord, even as I rode to church with my sweetheart, remembered, oh God, your promises. We saw them so true, Lord. And we see you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you're God and you change not. And that you're here on the behalf of your children, Lord. Father, just hearing the needs of your people. Crying out, Lord, as the death angel goes through the land of this COVID. We know, Lord, it's not the spiritual death, but it is death to many. Little preacher, Brother Reuben, Lord, we prayed for critical condition. His wife with two little children at home, she's in serious condition. Lord, there's others, oh God, that has needs in their lives, Lord. Little sister writing about the needs of her family. She's here. She hears you. You gave another a job. And Lord, her husband been unemployed since 2012. And they're desperate. They need help. Lord, you hear the cries of your people. I got lost, unsafe children, and Lord, a mother that, that is sick with cancer, her own needs in her life, Lord. You see Sister Kendra today, Lord, as she's reaching out to you, may you meet her need. She hears that there's a God that answers prayer. It gave her faith to ask, oh God, may, oh God, we be a, pray, a people of prayer, a people who know how to talk to God and speak on the behalf of God's children to bring healing and deliverance. And I send healing and deliverance to your children, Lord, wherever they are as they're listening in. Oh God, some of them suffer with the COVID themselves at home and isolated and quarantined and all kinds of different situations. Break ever better, Lord. Show yourself, God, on your behalf and on our behalf. Move on the behalf of your children as we cry out to you. I pray you'll put a wall of fire about us. Father, oh God, keep your people safe and in your presence now. We have come to honor you. We have come to give you praise and worship. Lord, we have, we have come, they've gathered here, people with real needs in their lives, Lord. People with desires to want to know the Lord in a greater way. Oh, to hear the word that would inspire them, that would set them free. I pray that you'll anoint us today by your spirit. We can trust Jesus. As my daughter sang a while ago, we've learned we can trust you in every situation. We thank you for our brother Ron. We thank you for the energy that he has. We thank you for the cancers that are dying. We thank you that you're a God of deliverance. We thank you that you're moving among your people around the world and we hear of healing and deliverance and God answered prayer. We thank you that you're present here today, the same yesterday today and forever you're God and you change not and we love you in Jesus name amen amen God bless you 
Amen. If you turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 23, I want to greet you today in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. And yes, it's a privilege to have Sister Karen with us. I want to thank you for the wonderful welcome you gave her home the other day. I know there were many of you that missed out on that and would have loved to have been there. And God, God knows your heart, and I know your heart too. Amen. But God bless you. So, so appreciated that. And it meant the, a lot to us. I guess she has probably watched that 20, 30 times since she's been home. So of the 10,000 Ks, she's uh, put, her own, uh, put her own in there. That, uh, people that have watched that and, and uh, rejoiced with us. And people around the world are writing in and rejoicing with us and expressing that, that, that faith has been put in their heart because of things like this, that God is answering prayer and moving on the behalf of his children. So it's never in vain. Amen. We're never going to waste a sickness. It's an opportunity for God to heal. Amen. We're going to see God come on the scene on the behalf of his children. Amen. Praise God. We thank God for this opportunity to come and worship him today and be in the presence of the Lord. I want to welcome the Herrings today. God bless you. They have just informed one of the deacons. They have moved here close by and will be attending church here. We want to welcome them. Raise your hands up so everybody can see you back there. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Amen. Each one of you that are here, we got another guest, Brother Glenn Westerfield, that is here, and uh, Sister Kayla over there from Alabama, and uh, different ones that are here. If you're a visitor here and I missed you, well, Jesus didn't. He saw you. Amen. Just wave your flag high and God will see you. Amen. God bless you. Um, Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, we want to read together this morning. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And this is wonderful here. My people will never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. How many spiritual Israel this morning? There's a natural one that God deals with, but there's also spiritual Israel. And ye, and I, that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And he repeats that again, giving you a double confirmation. He's not going to leave you holding the bag. He's never going to let you down. You can trust him. Amen. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions upon the servants, also upon the servants, upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, and, and fire, and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be delivered, as the Lord has said, and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. God bless you. You can be seated. I am going to speak today on a little subject 
And to be quite honest with you, I'm, you know, going to take my time into this and probably have to do another part to this. So this will be part one of this, uh, at least. Um, we will try that if the Lord will, will um, inspire us that way. But um, I want to speak today on is there hope of revival? Is there hope of revival? I read in 1963 in Shreveport, it's in the fall of the year, uh, way after the seals have been preached. And Brother Branham talks about the church is ready. She's sealed in, ready to, to come. There will be a great outpouring of the Spirit, yes, sir, to grab that church and take her into the skies. Exactly because we see the church, the Word, the bride in Christ, His ministry is in His bride, which is body, the supernatural bodies, the spiritual body of His on the earth. His Spirit is living His life right out until Him and the church becomes one in the wedding. See, they become one. And, and again, you know, Brother Branham also speaks of this in What Shall We Do With Jesus Called Christ? This is in Phoenix, um, a 64 sermon. He says, listen, we say about Satan's big machine up there ready to move. That's right, to crush down. But remember, God's little flock that believes the word, its mechanics is ready too. It's ready for the dynamics to set it afire with the Holy Ghost. If you're not little flock, it's your Father's good will to give you the kingdom. The Holy Ghost will strike a little church that's come out from the world, women that wears long hair, Nazarite, to prove they separated themselves, um, themselves from the world. Again, in the Is Your Life Worthy of Gospel, he talks about how that the, the table was ready for the, for the wedding and the invitation was given and he made three different calls. And, the, and he said that there was still room to spare because there were so many that made excuses. And he says, there's still room. And he says, I believe that maybe within the next few months or something or year or whatever it is, God's going to send another shaking <clears throat> across the country for somebody out there somewhere that's a predestinated seed that the light has to fall on somewhere, somewhere in the world. The nation itself is gone. Now, as we explained to you last Sunday that, that we have been given a promise to be taken back to the original Pentecost. This was the job of the Elijah prophet. He was to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. So as he said, um, bring us back to Pentecost, not Hollywood showmanship, but a wholehearted turn to God is what we need once more, Lord, once more. And, and so it's another Pentecost. And again, we emphasize not another Azusa Street, but another book of Acts, not another book of Corinthians. Now, the bride, of course, at the beginning is the bride at the end, as Brother Branham saw her in the vision, and he said she's Alpha and Omega. And of course, um, this restoration is promised that God will take this church right back to the Pentecost of the beginning. Now, this is different from Azusa Street. The Azusa Street Revival now has over 500 million, that's a half a billion followers. And Brother Branham predicted the shape that she would be in as it moved toward the charismatic movement. And listen to what he has. 
to say in the Laodicean church age. He said, then there's all this talk about the glossolalia that is speaking in tongues. It is supposed to be the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And people are thinking that we are in the midst of a great revival. And he says, the revival is over. America had her last chance in 1957, and now the tongues are the sign of God's impending disaster, even as they were when they appeared upon the wall at Belshazzar's feast. Don't you know there are many going to say in the, come in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name, even to cast out devils? And he'll say to, to them, depart from me, that we that work iniquity, I never knew you. So now, again, as he, as he said, this phenomena that, that we've seen, the outbreak of speaking in tongues, and he identified that not as a sign of life, but the sign of the end, the end of, a, of, of God dealing with a denominational system. And, and if you'll notice here that it is, um, it is a sign not of life, but a sign of death. That God is bringing about an end. Just as he said, the, the handwriting on the wall was a sign that God was fixing to bring judgment. And, and so a judgment he has done because he has, he has judged the, the horror and her daughters and he's called out a people for his namesake. That is a judgment. Now, Jesus said, these are workers of iniquity. You get a man can come up and pray for the sick, get oil and blood appearing in the congregation, prophecy coming forth, all manner of the supernatural, and people will gather around him and swear he is of the Lord, even though he's actually making a money racket of religion and living in sin. How many have seen that? That identifies the charismatic movement. The only answer that they have is an absolutely unbiblical one. Well, they get results, so he must be of God. How terrible, how actually poor this age is in the spirit of God. And the poor, poverty-stricken ones don't even know it. So, but I want you to know, in contrast to that, there is a bride that is standing on her feet. Amen. Amen. As a mighty, invincible army. We've all heard the prophets say it, and we're reminded, we remind you very often that Satan knows if the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is and what she stands for, and that she can do the greater works, that she will be an invincible army. She gets a revelation of the two spirits that's working in the framework of the church. And remember, get that revelation and hold on to it. Amen. And God's, by God's spirit, discern and withstand the Antichrist spirit, then Satan will be powerless before her. Now, so, as I said, we're not looking for another divine healing movement. As Brother Branham said, it was never God's will to do that. He said God wanted divine healing in every church. Amen. Now, so again, um, but he, he said about the divine healing movement, it's dead and it will never resurrect. Now, he cautioned us. He said, now, you Pentecostals, you want to believe that there's going to come a time that you'll get this power and you'll go forth and empty out all the hospitals and so forth. He said, I want you to know that's a lie. It was never done and it never will be done. 
Amen. He said, Jesus went and found one man at the pool of Bethesda. He prayed for him, raised him up, and he left the rest of them laying there. Right? So we want to have the right expectations for revival. Amen. Now, now, sometimes we want to just stop a moment and remember what that divine healing movement and that revival was like. Brother Branham describes this after coming back to Beaumont, Texas after 20 years before being there. And he was there with Raymond Ritchie and F.F. Bosworth and other brothers. And he says, I, I still believe the same gospel. I hadn't changed a bit. Um, it's just the same thing. But you see, the revival was going on then. And where there's no revival, you just can't get things done. And he said the ministry is more, far more advanced because God was discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right. Amen. Showing the sign of the Messiah. And, uh, and he says, but um, the, the revival is not on. He said, just your presence to walk in with the people while people would get up out of cots and stretchers and walk around. You just lay hands upon them, and my, that just sent them whirling. I've seen lines where four or 500 people come through the lines, deaf, dumb, blind, cross-eyed. Not one of them would fail, but what was healed, every one of them. But try it today. See, there's no fire. In Rome, when the fires went out of the temple at Vista, the the people went home. Now there's no revival to back it up, see. That's just it. And after a while, if the world stands they will start living in the glare again. Now, a glare is a reflection or a mirage or, or just a memory of the past. And Brother Branham said, this is the problem. People live in a glare and, and, and a reflection of something that was but no longer is. So again, he said they will start living in a glare. Now listen, we as message believers must be careful that we ourselves don't live in, the, in a glare of the past. God sent a mighty revival. He sent a prophet of God. Amen. But we cannot live in that day. We're living in another day. Is that right? Amen. Sure. I mean, the message still goes on. The prophet still is effective. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we, we are now in, a, in another time. We're at the very end, just before the trumpet sounds. Amen. And he said, after a while, if the world stands, they'll start living in the glare again. That's the way it always done, passed over and missed them. That generation is to be judged for what passed over them. They failed to see it. Jesus Christ is alive this afternoon. He's walking around here with us now. He's ever present. Wherever two or three are assembled in my name, I'm in their midst. Believe that, won't you? But you see, when there's no atmosphere and when there's no faith and when there's no believing, when there's not a believing atmosphere, you cannot, you cannot tap in to Christ being in our midst. Again, calling Jesus on the scenes in Denham Spring, he went over into Louisiana and he reminisced on being there. And he says, he said, now we've just witnessed one of the greatest revivals I believe the world's ever seen. And 
the last 10, 15 years, a revival, not just like the days of Billy Sunday or the Welsh Revival or the Westland Revival or Moody Revival or Billy Sunday Revival. It's been a worldwide sweeping affair around the world. Great healing service, great revival fires has burnt on practically every hill that's in the world. Right now, way over in the lands of Africa, down in China, Japan, this gospel is being preached and people are being healed right this very minute around and around the world. It's been one of the greatest revival because I believe it's one of the last revivals that this world will see a world, world sweeping revival. Amen. But he said, now, I, he said, but in the last few years, it's quietened down. And you don't notice the enthusiasm in the people that used to be. I remember having the privilege by the Holy Spirit to spearhead that revival that started when the angel of the Lord appeared on the river and said that many years ago. And to see it happen and see ministers' hearts afire. Everywhere, revivals broke out. Why? You can just simply walk in the building. People get right up off their cots and stretchers and walk away healed. You didn't even have to say a word. Just being there, that's all it takes. And I remember one night in Vandalia, Illinois, I walked in the meeting, had no longer been in the meeting more than uh, over five minutes, and there wasn't a feeble person around the place anywhere. Wheelchairs pushed out, piled up, blind was seeing, deaf and dumb speaking, and simply uh, the Spirit of the Lord was present, and he just healed the whole group of them. Now, that's when you can do something when the revival is going. But let the revival fire die down, then you can hardly, the people are still Christians, but they're not revived into that spirit, that great atmosphere that does something. Hmm. It's like just in a forge in the blacksmith shop. You got the red hot iron before you go to get the iron hot before you go to pound it on the anvil. If you don't, you'll never straighten it out. And that's what it takes to have a revival is everyone under the heat of this Holy Spirit that's brought down the powers of God and a revival moving. Then there's prayer meetings going day and night and every minute everywhere while the people won't even leave the grounds. Now, again, you know, this described very well the things that was happening, the great revival, the buildings packed out, the the many that was under expectation, the thousands that were healed and delivered. But I want to ask you something. Did the divine healing move bring the promised rapture? Amen, don't hang up on me. I asked a serious question. Did it produce, did it bring the promised rapture? No. You know what it did? It built and made bigger denominations. Amen. Now, so you see, Brother Branham even said, I sent three quarters of a million of my children to the assembly of God, and others went to oneness and full gospel. People who were, who were in his divine healing movements and saw God real, and they just went and joined the church. And Paul, a prisoner, Brother Branham explains this as he looks back over it and sees the effect of a divine healing movement. Now, I, I'm, I'm trying to get something to you because our goal is not just to have another divine healing movement. 
Our goal is not to be all of us be little William Branham's out here and all of us with the gift of God and all of us doing miracles and signs and wonders, which is what the charismatics say is going to happen. They'll point back to William Branham and say, we're all going to be that. And it's the wrong expectation. I want to focus on something for a moment. I want you to realize that our next, our next great move of God is where we're at right now, produces a rapture. And that's our goal. Our goal is not a bigger church. Our goal is not attracting, as I said last Sunday, bugs to the light bulb. Our goal is to, to, to get ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus and to see that he's real and a living God among us. And as he's God, he's a healer, he's a deliverer, he's a need supplier, and us to have that enthusiasm and that expectancy that we should have for the coming of the Lord and prepare ourselves for his coming. Paul, a prisoner, Brother Branham, types himself with Moses. He said, Moses, he took him out in the desert, kept him there 40 years and stripped him of all his theology and ambition. And I think sometimes that kind of types us. We've come down to the times where we've had a stripping time. Oh, what a time he could look back and see his failure. And tonight, we ought to do the same thing when we see our ambition. Look at the healing campaign and see if the Lord did something a few years ago to start restoring healing to the sick and so forth. And everybody, every organization is because it didn't come to their organization. They had to get them a healer. And what have we done? Just look at it a moment. We've done the same thing that Moses did. We went out and tried so hard to manufacture some kind of miracle. I smelt a disease. I got a blood in my hand. When manufacture a miracle, and what have we got? Some of the men in such hard strings that broke up and became regular drunkards and neurotics and got their mind, and they switched all the way back, the order from the Pentecostal objective, back to making organizations again. Building a kingdom. Now, and what do you have? It's true. Some of their main, main ones died of drunk. A.A. Allen. Died a drunk. Oh, yeah, he had miracles. Man just wrote us the other day and said, I was there when, when um, you know, Leroy Jenkins, who later became a healing evangelist of his own, you know, again, that, that, was, um, um, that was questionable in his life. But he had stitches on his arms, and he watched there as um, A.A. Allen prayed for him, and the stitches popped. And, the, and the, the whole arm was healed and, and completely healed up. A miracle right before them all. But he died a drunk. What good does it do to have divine healing and not have a life? You know, the first thing we want to seek after is to make sure we've got a life. Amen, because there's going to be many coming that day and say, didn't I do miracles? Didn't I cast out devils? Didn't I do all of these things in thy name? And he said, you're workers of iniquity. 
You did things knowing better than to do them. You kept right on living the way you were living. And he said, what have we done? We slew about one Egyptian. That's right. We tried and we strained, we paid, we labored, we go all night in prayer meetings till we had no voice, trying to manufacture something, soup up something, all these type of things, and find it a total failure. We need a going back to the desert. He says, yes, sir, camp meetings and struggles. Why not just give up? That's what you ought to do. Just go, go back and give up. The, we've done the same thing that Moses did. It doesn't do any good. After 40 years, he found himself a prisoner to the word of God. And I hope after all this time, we become a people that's a prisoner to the word. We're chained to that word. We're not going to deviate one bit. Come on. But we're going to stay focused on the word of God, the message of the hour. Again, he continues this. When the great blessing come out, the manifestations of these great things that God told us about, how we must be born again, how we receive the Holy Ghost, the baptism in the name of Jesus, and all of these things. You see, the people, instead of staying to that word and harness to it, what they do? They start their own denominational theory, which had already failed and tried to manufacture something that looked like the truth. And what we got tonight, but a nation full of organized people who deny the scriptures of God who would call the life of the Holy Spirit, say it's a mental telepathy, who would refuse to refuse such to come in their church, and they wouldn't permit you to mention one word of serpent seed. Although it's all through the Bible. Eternal security, although it's all through the Bible. And the things the Holy Spirit has revealed and proved to be the word, and I make challenge after challenge to come and prove me wrong. What have they got? Same thing that Luther had. The rest of them slew an Egyptian. What was it? Maybe he made some man stop stealing. Well, that's pretty good. Make a good citizen out of a guy where he quits stealing, quits going to jail for it. That's pretty nice, isn't it? Amen. Or maybe make a man live true to his wife. Probably after he found his third one and finally decided, well, I better settle down. We're talking about denominational Christians. But what did you make out of him? A church member. Come and join our group. Again, we don't want church members. We want people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Is that right? Amen. We want the power of the Almighty God that comes and changes lives. Not build a kingdom. There again, in a prisoner, Paul a prisoner, he says, that stinking dead man was the only thing he'll point his finger to of his success of 40 years of training. You remember, you know, here he, here he tried and tried and he trained and was told he was a deliverer and everything, and he tried to deliver Israel on his own, and he killed an Egyptian. He didn't deliver Israel. He didn't produce an exodus. A rapture? Come on. Amen. All he did was had a stinking dead Egyptian. One Egyptian. And this is what he said. 40 years of training. 
A stinking Egyptian laying there rotten and dead, and that's the way it is tonight. The only thing we can point to, to this revival that has crossed over, is a stinking bunch of church members that knows no more about God than a hot and talk would know about an Egyptian night, right? They would tell them about the Word of God, and they say, I don't believe that. I don't care what they say. I don't believe it. See, it's an awful thing to have to point back to for all the strains and struggles and everything we got. Maybe we can point to a big school, which that's what Roberts did, built a school. That's what Gordon Lindsay did, built a school. Amen. This is what they, were all, they all did. They went and built seminaries. So they could teach divine healing. And so they could teach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and teach these things. And he says, it's dead. We can point to an organization, but it's dead. It's stinking. It's just like the first thing that we pulled out of, like a hog going back to his wallow, a dog to his vomit when we return back. One dead Egyptian. So he looks back over the divine healing movement and he says, that's what it produced. Now again, come on. We don't want just what that produced. We want to see a rapture. We want to see people's lives changed now. Living right, talking right. Come on, treating their neighbor right. Being a real Christian, sons and daughters of God, on fire for God. Amen. So again, what would another divine healing meeting produce or revival produce? Same thing. What about America? Will she ever have another revival? Well, we hear them praying all over the nation, God send America revival. If the people... Oh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, humble themselves and, and call on the Lord and, and whatever, humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. We hear them over and over and over and over wanting a, a, a revival in America. We had Jerry Falwell for years that was proclaiming we had a moral majority. It's not there. I say it again, it's not there. What we got is a bunch of hoodlums and people don't believe in God anymore and a godless society. Come on. And even our church is being led by, by a homosexual agenda. The Methodist church, the leadership has now become an LGBT movement. Amen. We're a godless nation. And we have turned from a lamb to a dragon. America is a beast that devours. And you can see the hatred that is building up in her. There's a radical element in this country, and I don't want to mean to get into politics, but I'm going to deal with some of this a little bit. You just bear with me for a bit. Amen. Because a lot of people have the wrong expectations. Say, God bless America. God's not going to bless America. America is damned. America is cursed. America is going to hell. She will burn with fire. The Bible says so. Come on now. 
Amen. You find her in Revelation 13. Amen. She is a godless country. I know a lot of people have hope in this last trump. It ain't the last trump. It's just a, somebody blowing their nose. Come on. There's no hope in any of this. You have one hope, and that's to leave from here. One hope. That's the coming of the Lord Jesus. We are on the verge of the tribulation. You see the spirits of insanity that has been loosed as they give their mind to the beast. This is not conspiracy theories. This is the word of God. Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many that would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all both small and great and rich and poor and free and bond to receive a mark in their hand or in their forehead. And that no man might have a right, might, might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Amen? Amen. So there is a beast that rose up that was Rome. There was one that come, that was out of the sea. There was one raised up out of the land that was America. A place where that there were no people. The other is sea, which is multitudes, nations, people. That was Rome. Then you have America. America is the main player in this last age. And she's a beast. Amen. She starts out with freedom of religion. She ends at speaking like the dragon. Amen. Now, you can be patriotic as you want to. You can show your American flags. You can pledge allegiance. You do whatever you want to. I can't pledge allegiance to that thing. She slaughters the unborn. Amen. Come on. By the millions, her laws are injustice. Amen. We're rotten to the core in both sides of politics. There is no hope. No matter how, if you vote, your, your vote is contaminated and you know it. And I still vote, but I still know that it ain't going to count because somebody's going to go and drag up something that ain't, that, that ain't even that ain't even right. It can't be trusted. She's a beast. I, I'm just telling you this because some of you want to get on the bandwagon. You want to get on the bandwagon. You want to, oh, oh, God bless America. You want to get on the bandwagon of, of something that is going on, the Black Lives Movement. It's a social injustice. We'll get on the bandwagon. Now listen, the image to the beast rises out of the land of America. Let me define it. It is an ecumenical spirit that says we are all one. And social justice for all. And you, and you will accept the homosexual, their agenda, or they will force you out of business. Come on now. They will force you out of business. It is a spirit of lawlessness. 
The Bible tells you so that in the last day that the, the man of sin, a spirit of lawlessness will rule. It's a spirit of rebellion. And it's there and it's anointing men and women and boys and girls and youth who are all screaming out for their rights because it's Laodicea and Laodicea means people's rights and everybody wants their rights. And bless all my black friends. Bless your hearts. Martin Luther King rose up and he, 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 he paraded throughout the country there asking for, for justice and he, he won a lot of good things. But guess who's now riding on the back of the civil rights movement is the LGBT. Perversion wanting their civil rights. The feminist movement is riding on their back. The Atifa is riding on their back. Every kind of antichrist, every kind of ugly spirit, every spirit of rebellion is riding on the back. You will accept the homosexuals and their agenda or they will force you out of business. You'll bake their cake for their wedding or you will pay the price. Amen. They will mar you on social media. They will put you out of business. They'll make you lose your job. You cannot buy or sell. Without their permission and without their blessing. We're coming right down to the marking of the beast. They're not the marking of the beast. I'm just saying it is the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well and it's working in America and in the world. And if you think it's just a Black Lives Movement, it's not. It is more than that. It actually goes to, what, what do you think of England goes over there? And they will start pulling down statues and riot in their streets because it is a one world thing trying to bring the world under one world order and disrupt the democracies and capitalism and whatever and turn it over into socialism and Marxism. Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures and companies after they've done said or after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. You know, cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. And if you don't accept sin, you are shamed. You don't accept their agenda, you are shamed. Brother Bram speaking of this on the mark of the beast. He said, don't you believe they'll tattoo a number in your head? Or tattoo something in your hand? Don't you look for that. It'll be a boycott. Amen. No man could buy or sell unless he belongs to a confederation of churches. That's true. That would come like a union, unionizing the thing, bringing it down, unionized religion. You see, it's an ecumenical spirit. Mark my word, he said, it ain't far off, and you'll see it. She's right around the corner, and we're here. Why am I preaching this? So that you can become an activist? No, so you can get ready to leave here. 
because the next revival, the thing that God is doing is pouring out his spirit for rapture. The Thyatira church age, Brother Branham says, Lord, help us to be ready to stand now. The time is closing in. We see the two horned beasts rise up out of the earth, not out of thickness and multitudes of people with, with horns like a lamb, but it spake like the dragon. We believe that hour is close at hand. Now, Father, when, when these churches is confederating themselves together, making an image to the beast, it'll be a terrible on that group, Lord, that won't join them. The very boycott will come. But in that hour, you promise to take your church. Amen. Take a look at what's happening. In that hour, you promised to take your church. Hallelujah. Before one drop of water fell, Noah was in the ark. Before one, the fires could strike Sodom, Lot was gone. Amen. Father, we believe before the atomic powers ever blow this earth to pieces, the church will be gone. I'm so glad, Lord, and we know the bombs are hanging in the hangars tonight. Yeah, they're in Korea, they're in Russia, they're in China. And they're working on them in, in, in Iran and everywhere else. And we can look toward heaven and we can see the Son of Man rising from his throne. How many can look toward heaven? If you look toward heaven, listen, this is what he said. Look up. When you see these things come to pass, look up. Your redemption is drawing now. And when we see, look toward heavens and we see the Son of Man rising from the throne to start toward the earth for the rapture of his church and know that his precious feet won't touch the sinful earth at this time. For as Rebecca rode the camel and jumped off the camel right between the house of Abraham out in the field, she met the bride. Oh God, the church will meet uh, our bridegroom in the air for we which are alive and remain shall not prevent or hinder them that are asleep. <coughs> the trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we shall be caught up together to meet with them and meet the Lord in the field in the air. And be forever with him. What a promise to look at. Now, Brother Bradham talks about the, the consequences, the consequences of missing the revival. And as your life was, is worthy, he talks about Russia. If they had accepted the Pentecostal blessing 75 years ago, that must have been in the 1800s, when the Holy Ghost fell in Russia, they wouldn't be communists today. Now, God was come among them. They had great revivals into Siberia. And what did they do? They rejected it. And today, that country is gone. And the churches can't have church only under permission and they're doomed under judgment. And even right now, they have outlawed many of the messages of William Branham. But it's too late. It's already got in. There was a time where men risked their lives. Brother Ed Biscoe, among them, you know, would risk their lives, go into the communist country, smuggle in books. Men would take them and hide them in their headlamps and whatever their cars and little secret pockets and get books over there uh, and there. And then God opened the doors and it flooded the country. Right. 
guess what happened? Israel, the Jews got out of there, back to their homeland. And now the doors are shutting again. Amen. The same thing with China. God sent John Lay over into China, burdened up on his heart. Little man who knew nothing about it and had never done that kind of work, but had a burden. And begin to take Bibles there, begin to share the gospel, begin to prove, begin to, to tell what God had done in our generation. Now they're, they're all over, all over China. They've arrested some of them and put them in jail. They're in jail today. But you can't stop the word. It's still going on. Let me tell the Chinese government, it's too late. The message already got through. Hallelujah. Amen. Here we're at one of the last strongholds there of Satan over in Japan. And here we have seen God move in a miraculous way. Send us some pictures today again of the congregation and showing there the people meeting together and hungry hearts. Some of them coming out of the UPC and other religious organizations and embracing the message of the hour. Amen. They wanted a Japanese group, but it's international because you see it's a bride out of, the, out of every kindred tongue and nation. It's not just Japan. This is not an American thing or a Japanese thing. Amen. It's a bride out of every nation thing. And it's too late. We're just now finishing up the, all of the principal sermons in 1965. This little church sending out a man trans, translating the messages into the Japanese language. And it's too late for the devil to stop it. Let me tell him that he didn't have enough. He didn't have enough for Japan. He didn't have enough for China. He didn't have enough for Russia. And he ain't got enough for you right here, today. He cannot hold back your revival. He cannot keep the Spirit of God away from you. He cannot keep the anointing from coming down. He don't have enough. He couldn't keep Sister, Sister Karen a vegetable. He couldn't keep her sick in the hospital because he didn't have enough. He can't keep Brother Ron down. He's preaching this morning because the devil don't have enough. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can have your seats. Praise the Lord. It's still to come. Now, 50 years ago, he said the Holy Ghost fell in England. After that, King George Jeffries, F.F. Bosworth, Charles Price, Smith Wigglesworth, those great warriors of faith 50 years ago, and offered England the, the Holy Ghost revival. Now, this is 1963, and 50 years ago would have been 1913. But what did they do? They laughed at them. They put them in jail. 
They called them crazy. They thought they lost their mind. The churches refused the people to come to hear them. They healed the sick, cast out devils, done great work. And because that England as a nation rejected her gospel, her sins is known throughout the world. And there's hardly more of an apostate nation in all the world, including Rome and France, than England. She's a mother of apostasy. Right where Finney and many of the great men preached in the Haymarket and Charles G. Finney and Wesley and on down, she turned it down. And then he talked about the scandal that had just come out there and showing the, the, their great man weakened to the sex of women and disgraceful things because she rejected the truth. Then he comes to America. America, 15 years ago, when the great divine healing or great healing revival continued on from Pentecost, broke out in the nations, there was revivals on the Capitol in Washington, D.C. I've been by there. Right there, right down the street from the, from the Capitol itself. There in, uh, in the auditorium, do you remember it, Timothy? The, the auditorium right there where deep call it to the deep. Still there. And, and, um, and, and he said there was revivals on the Capitol, uh, Washington, D.C. The presidents, vice presidents, great people, governors, great things like, like that taking place. Men were healed like Congressman Upshaw, been a cripple for 66 years, and they could not turn their face and say it wasn't so. It was right before them, but they turned it down, and that's the reason this nation stays. She's doomed. There's no hope for it. She's crossed the line between judgment and mercy, and she's elected in what she has here to control the nation, and she's rotten to the core. Her politics is rotten. Her morals of this nation is lower than anything I can think of. Her religious system is rottener than the morals. She becomes in doing this. She has now joined herself, all these churches and the nation, to the Federation of Churches, and has taken the mark of the beast. What a thing. Christ, why? Christ gave them the opportunity. Come to my feast. The Feast of Pentecost, which means 50. When the Holy Spirit poured out on Russia, they were called to a Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost, spiritual feast. They turned it down. England, the Holy Ghost poured out upon them. They turned it down. America, Holy Ghost poured out upon them. They turned it down. And when God sends the Holy Ghost and knocks at a man's door, and he deliberately turns it down, sometimes, He's going to turn it down for the last time. Amen. Amen. You can sit in the church and listen to the gospel and agree with the gospel, but you're not going to be a privileged person anymore. You might do as much as say, I know it's right. I never put a, but never put a finger on it to help yourself. You just listen to it because you say, I believe it's right, and you're just sympathizing with it. I could say, I believe there's 10, that's $10,000, but that don't mean I got it. I could say that's good cold water, but refuse to drink it. You know what I mean? And this is eternal life. And refuse to do it, one day you'll cross the line between judgment and mercy. Amen. Then you won't have the privilege to come and receive it. And we're right there close. In fact, the matter is, you may not even have the privilege to wait that long. You could cross it today. Amen. I remember the day when I was in Europe 
laying there at night and woken up, waking up by a voice that was speaking to me and saying that Denise was having her last call. I remember what happened. I remembered that I was the messenger. I remember going to her and telling her that. And I also remember the Lord coming and saving her. And she's lived a different life ever since. Because our God is rich in mercy. Sometimes he'll let you come right down to the line to snatch you right away from it. Don't give up on your loved ones yet. But let me, let me give a warning now. Those who do not become a part of this last day bride revival will go through the tribulation. And the super sign, Brother Branham says, he, he refers back, he said what I said about five years ago, this, this, um, well, this year the United States will accept the gospel or they'll never do it. They've declined since that time. There will never be a big revival in America no more like that. If you believe me, I'll be a prophet. You, be, you remember that's the word of the Lord. Just watch and see if it isn't dying. And it kills me inside of me to know that men and women that I love better in all my life, that I give my life. And what we need today is rooting out. We may, not root, we may root out too late now. The hour may be, have to be passed. We may never have another revival. I know you're looking for it in the scripture, but I don't see it in the scripture. I look for a rapture for just a handful of people. That's right, just a handful of people. They'll never be missed in the world. And when they go, you'll never know it's gone. It'll come like a thief in the night. Brother Branham talks about this in the, in a, again, and I'm just going to share one more quote and we'll go on. Trying to do God a service. America... They say, God bless America. It's a nation. It's a Christian country. It's a million miles from being a Christian country. I don't even pray for it. How can I pray for it and it won't repent under the mighty powers that God demonstrated before it, denying and closing the doors to it and walking away? I commit it to God and she's going further away and now she's going to sink. And we're here in the very sinking of America. And I want you to stop a minute and forgive me for going down this path just a minute. But again, you know, sometimes we see our young people, they, they get caught up in things and, you know, in movements and things and they, they, because it sounds good. Sounds like the end thing to do. But I want you to look at the Black Lives Movement, which is nothing but a Sodom movement. You say, well, they're for social justice. They are not. They are a Marxist group that wants to tear down America and its Christian values. They are against Christianity. They are an LGBT movement. Now, I'm, I'm just going to read it from their own website. This is, not, this is not from hearsay. This is what I copied right off of the Black Lives Movement website of what they stand for. We see ourselves as a part of the global black family. We are aware of the different ways we are impacted or privileged as black people who exist in different parts of the world. See, it's a worldwide thing. We are guided by the fact that all lives, all black lives matter. 
regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs, disbeliefs, immigration status, or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflective and do the work um, to require to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogamy, and environments in which men are centered. We practice empathy. We engage comrades in the intent to learn about and connect with their context. We make spaces, make our spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so they can mother in private even though they participate in public justice work. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. You know what that is? One male, a man, and a woman. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family which consists of a man and a woman. Requirement by supporting each other as extended family and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degrees that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We, we foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she or they disclose otherwise. So what are you are seeing across America is sodomites. Oh no, they're not, they're not just black people, they're white people too. Of all kinds gathering down there, rioting in the streets, tearing down, defacing monuments, erasing history. Amen. Seeing you know, you know, there's sodomites banging at the door of Lot. And they're banging on the door of Christians in America. And they're out to destroy the American life of, of Christianity. And it will, and, and there we are an endangered species as Christians. And they are doing it as they did in the days of Lot. Who made you to be a judge over us? You have no right to judge us. You can't call sin, sin, wrong, wrong. If you do, you will pay the penalty. And they're demanding, oh my. If you read the book of Genesis, what happened there at Sodom, they demanded to have sex to pervert to desecrate angels. And now even Jesus Christ to pervert him. I got something to say about that. Because many, many will reject Jesus because he was a white man. That's a lie. Jesus was not a white man. Neither was he a black man. Jesus was the God man. 
He was the only begotten mean he is one of a kind. There is none other like him. And everyone that is born of Jesus is neither black nor white or Hispanic or Native American, but they too are God men and women. Born of the Holy Spirit, washed by the blood, and they have one vision and one faith, and that is to be a part of the bride and leave from here. Thinking man's filter, Brother Branham said, Oh, United States, United States. Oh, he says, you're blind, Laodicea. How off God would have given you a revival, but now your time has come. It's too late now. How you laughed and made fun of the people that God sent you. But now your time has come. Oh, United States, United States. How that God would have hovered you as a hen does her brood, but you would not. Now this voice is going from coast to coast, from north to south, and from east to west. How God would have hovered, over, hovered you, but you would not. Now your time is come. Nations are breaking. The world's falling apart. 1,500-mile chunk of it, 300 or 400 miles wide, was sinking, maybe 40 miles down. The great falls out yonder one of these days. Waves shoot plumb to the state of Kentucky when it does. It'll shake the world so hard that everything on top of it will shake down. Don't forget, there's a great earthquake at the resurrection. Oh, hide me in the rock of ages. God, let me, let me breathe upon me, Lord. Spirit of the living God, breathe on me. Let me take God's filter and live under that, Lord. Let me breathe the fresh air of the Holy Ghost in my lungs and my soul every day that I sin not against you. Oh, Lord, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. We're a nation under judgment. But hallelujah. We're going to escape. He'll snatch us out just in time. It's an eagle anointing. Now Brother Branham told us very clearly that what is happening in, the, in our time he said the Pentecostals had the wrong expectations. And there's many in the message today, or that, you know, sit around the borders of the message. They're still Pentecostal in their thinking of what a revival is going to be. What the next great move of God. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into all today, but I am going to deal on what the Pentecostals are looking for. In the message, Shalom, he says there's gross darkness this among the churches, things today that fail to see the light that's shining. There seems to be such a heavy press. We take some of the notice evangelists today, they're constantly screaming for revival and working right against it. See, not understanding without understanding. So if you don't have the right understanding of what the revival is going to be, then you'll be working against it. Because your expectations are wrong. Now, in spiritual amnesia, Brother Branham told us, he said, now, 
This is the last sign. Remember, thus saith the Lord. Did you ever hear me say that? But what it was true, you're seeing your last sign. Now remember that last sign, it covers the coming of the Son of Man, the revealing of the Son of Man, and, and then, of course, the manifestation in Sarah and Abraham because they were the ones to bring on the promised son. And he said, you've seen your last sign, Pentecost. Don't get mixed up with what he promised Israel after the rapture. That ain't you. You're done then. Now is your day. Now is your sign. Now is your time. Don't reject it. Don't do it. You better come now. You believe me to be God's servant. You need a revival. You're dying. You're taking spiritual amnesia. You're dying. Don't do that. Revive that which you got and bring it up again quickly before Jesus comes. So again, Brother Branham was telling us that don't get mixed up with what he promised Israel. So we're going to deal with some of this. And so some of this is going to be some real teaching. Get your pens and paper out and get ready to, uh, to, to uh, take some um, real important notes on that. Now, recognizing your day in his message, he said, the atmosphere of the people at that time in the circles of Pentecostal realms, he said, there's no revival and people are complaining and ministers are crying. And he said, I was reading one of their outstanding papers where, um, you know, there where they were um, uh, in the herald of his coming. And they said, well, hardly print anything unless it's fast pray, fast pray, um, sound a trumpet. Said, how many gets, reads it? You know, you see, you see it all the time. Fast pray, fast pray. It's all you hear. Fast pray. We're going to have the, a great breaking of the day. There's going to be a, something that's going to happen. And, and there is a great thing going to happen. And all you pray, pray, pray. We're not too late yet. And why did they do that? Why did they do that? They want a great awakening and they're crying. They're believing there will be an awakening. They're good people. What is it? What is it done? They have not recognized the awakening of the bride. And but by being Christians, they feel the pull of the hour, but they haven't recognized what has been done. But that's what's making them feel that way. And they know there's some, something to be happened and they're looking for it way off in the future to come and it's already happened right by you. So God was doing a work, calling out a bride for his namesake. But because, you know, they were trying to, you know, make something happen, manufacture a miracle, you know, get the gifts to working, get, get, get uh, tongues in the church, get the glossolalia began. They fostered the charismatic movement, which turned into a worldly bunch. Come on. Who won't be subject to the word of God. It's the truth. And they, they run out on their, their gifts and their spiritual. Uh, they, they think and, and, and they have certain elements of healing and deliverance. And, and, and certain kinds of things, that, you know, gifts that happen and prophecies and so on. But look at their lives. Married, divorced, remarried. Fornications in their, in, their, in their ministries, their preachers are double married, their deacons are double married, all kinds of things that are going on in the leadership of the church. And it just becomes a big ballyhoo of emotions. And it turns out to be, and you know, 
the working of the demonic spirits as they poof and people fall out and 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 uh, you know then they go into their laughing you know and everybody going into hysterical laughing you ought to see it it'll make you sick at your stomach Kenneth Hagin, it turned out there, one of the leaders in this whole thing, the teachers. And they were crying for revival. But that's what it produced. Now, he said, now he says, he said, recognize the day that we're living in the sign of the time. See, where everything is at, Israel, where the church, where the immoral, where the bride is standing what's left the next thing is the taking up of the bride every church is looking for a great thing the Pentecost say glory to God there'll come a day they're going to do this they're going to do that they're professors they do believe like one time Caiaphas says is it right isn't it right that one man should die not the whole nation perish and he was a high priest and that's the reason he said that he prophesied not knowing what he was saying but he, did he realize the truth of it that he was sacrificing the very God he claimed to be the high priest of? So today, so it is today, they're looking yonder somewhere for a great time to come. Why well, go to the businessmen's convention and they say, glory to God. Them preachers just get this, this stir up the crowd saying, there's coming a great revival. The hand of the Lord is going to be up on the earth. And all the people are going forth running and they don't realize that's under the trumpets for Israel. Why did they do that? Because they're Christian professors. And they don't realize, neither did Caphas realize what he was doing. And they don't realize they're rejecting the very message that was sent to them. Now there again, they'll accept Brother Branham's miracles as genuine. But they won't accept his message. Amen. They'll crucify that. Now, again, in the 70th weeks... Brother Branham said, most are Pentecostal brethren. They'll disagree with this. They're looking for a great, powerful something to happen. And my brethren, if you listen real close, and listen, you'll find that that great, powerful something has done past. Jesus is ready to return. Now we're talking about what's going to happen with the Gentile. He said, the church leaves on the third chapter of Revelation. Amen. For the next chapter in chapter 4 is the call come up hither. Right? And he says, then we deal with the, the Jew, then we deal with the Jews until the coming again of the bride in, in, in the 19th chapter. And uh, so on and on. And he, then he says, now Pentecostal brethren, he said, do you know where the 144,000 appeared? Do you know where all the great miracles of Revelation appeared? Over in the Jewish age, not ours. There's nothing recorded in it, just the church getting ready and going out. Sure, with the power of God, we can work, work, do work miracles and exploits. We know that. But the real thing was over here to the Jews. I mean, the real working power, miracle working. They're going to shut the heavens. They'll keep it from raining. They'll control nature. They'll bring down plagues. Amen. This is... This is this is something, are you listening to me? This is something for Israel that's going to happen over there. And, and again, he says, he says, remember, as soon as the church, the church goes, then the Jews take hold, come in. First thing, next in the order is not a mighty national revival amongst the Gentiles. The next thing in order is the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of Christ. 
So I want your expectations to be right. We're not going to have another national revival. And we're not going to have another world revival. The next thing is the coming of Jesus Christ. But there will be revival at that coming. There will be a people on fire for God. There will not be a Laodicea. And there will be the mighty works of God performed in their midst. Question answers in 1962. Brother Branham talks about the, the tribulation period. The church raptures and goes up at the fourth chapter of Revelation. Never comes again until the 19th chapter when it comes with Jesus. That's right. That's in the tribulation period. Not nothing to do with the church at all. So what's he saying? The bride is raptured in the fourth chapter. And from Revelation 4 to Revelation 19 is when, when God is dealing with Israel on earth. But if there's a scene in there that applies to the bride, it will happen over here in Revelation 3 before the rapture under the seventh church age message. Are you with me? Now, I, I, want, you, I want you to say in this because Brother Branham did not spiritualize he did not spiritualize this as most message preachers do, and they're an error. I just say it, brothers, you missed it. You don't spiritualize where the prophet spoke of it as literal. Amen. So they spiritualize the rapture until they trivialize and minimize the literal physical return and the meeting in the air. And here's where the bride physically goes up in the rapture. I want to show it to you. It's at the end of the church ages. Will you just show me, um, Adriana, just pull it down, uh, Revelation 3, and, and give me the last three or four verses. Just flash them out for us. This is a Laodicean church age. Just flash them on the screen, the last three of them. I stand at the door and knock. Again, next one. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And then is there another one? And he that hath an ear to hear. You see, what's now Revelation 4.1, the next verse. Laodicea ends. As she ends, this happens. After this, after the seven church ages, when they complete, behold, a door was opened in heaven. An entrance was made in heaven. And the first voice I heard was a trumpet talking to me, which said, come up hither. And John, being a man, he, he represents and symbol the entire bride by being caught up into the heavens at the end of the seventh church age. And we are in the seventh church age and under the seventh angel's message until the rapture of the church. And when the bride is caught up, Laodicea ends. Until that, Laodicea is still going on. The Laodicean messenger is still the messenger. And his message is still in effect. And we are the overcomers of the Laodicean age. All right. So now, again, again, the voice, the trumpet says, come up hither. Now, this is the trumpet 
of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Are you with me? Amen. This revelation, Revelation 4, 1 tells us what the trumpet is saying. It's not just making a sound. It's saying something. A trumpet sounds and it says retreat. A trumpet sounds and it says go forward. A trumpet sounds and it gives the clues to what is going on. This trumpet, when it sounds, says come up hither. Leave the earth and go into the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, And for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's Revelation 4, 1. Until that happens, Revelation 4, 1 has not happened. Again, again, 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Let's look at this one. And I just want to make this clear. All the scriptures are one thing. Back up one verse, if you will. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Next verse. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Where? At the last trump. And the last trump is Revelation 4.1. And it says, leave the earth and go into glory. And John types the entire bride by being lifted up into the heavens, into the eternals. And that's what happens at the end of the church ages. And Brother Branham never spiritualizes this. Men do, preachers do, but Brother Branham doesn't. When will they be changed? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. When? The last trump. You talk about the divine healing movement. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. We've never seen a divine healing movement like this. The old will be turned young again. Gray hair will come back the right color. Missing limbs will be restored. The crippled will walk and the blind will see. We are on the brink of the greatest divine healing movement ever. And it won't be 15 years and it will not. It will not build up a denomination or some man's kingdom. It will take a bride and a rapture. Hallelujah. How would you like to come across some prayer, the, the platform, you know, for, for prayer to have your gray hair turn back the right color? Huh? That would be a healing, wouldn't it? A miracle healing. Well, I tell you, amen, there won't be no bald heads there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. There won't be a, hey, there ain't going to be no old people there. People, people ridicule me for having a youth camp. Well, brother, there ain't going to be no old folks there. It's going to be one glorious youth camp. We're all going to be young and immortal again. Never to die. Never to suffer sorrow, pain, sickness. The greatest divine healing movement ever is right on the verge. We're right on the edge of it. Any moment, somebody could tap you on the shoulder. 
could be your mother, your brother, someone that's done going on and say, it's on. Hallelujah. And Gabriel's instruction to Daniel. Now in the fourth chapter, John was caught up immediately after the church. John going up, he saw the complete church age. There's where I'd like to stop for a second to say that people are looking for something great, tremendous, powerful, something to happen in the Gentile age are certainly wrong. The church age and all that happened during the Gentile reign is recorded in Revelation 1, 2, 3, inclusive. Then the church is raptured and taken up and the rest under this 19 chapters, what happens to the Jewish race after the church has gone up and it's a time of great tribulation. Nothing to happen among the Gentiles, only the slaughter and so forth we get to. But the church itself is gone on the last verse of the third chapter of Revelation when the Laodicean church age ends. Oh my goodness. Amen. This bright age is the overcomers of the Laodicean age. Now, Brother Branham, and I want you to write this down. Brother Branham teaches it this way all through the Revelation series. In the breach, paragraph 23. In the first seal, paragraph 18. The fifth seal, paragraph 87 and 218. Question and answers on the seals, 337. And in the, in the seventh seal, he's still saying this. I'm going to read this one. Now remember, after the fourth chapter of Revelation, the church is gone. After the four horse riders went out, church is gone. Everything that happened to the church happened up to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. He's still saying this in the seventh seal. Feast of the trumpets, where he separates what belongs to the Jews and what belongs to us. Amen. Paragraph 37, he says the same. Future home through the invisible union. He's still referencing the summons on high. Come up hither. Brother Bradham taught it this way from before the seals, during the seals, and after the seals. The bride is raptured in the Laodicean age, and as she does, the Laodicean age closes. So you said, but what about the seals? Brother Tim, they're, they're after chapter four. Aren't you kind of in a mess there? Yeah. You know, I, I, I get your point. But remember, anything that, though that happens to the bride must happen in the seven church ages in chapters one through three. So if the seals are opened, come on, they happen back over here for the Gentiles in Revelation three under the seventh angel's message. Chapters 4 through 19 shows different scenes. You go through different scenes. He takes you from one scene to another, to another, to another, to another. It's a series of visions. And he shows you uh, the seven seal book, then the book open, and the seven trumpets, the sealing of the 144,000, the mighty angel of Revelation 10, the two witnesses, the war in heaven, the casting down of Satan, the going up of the bride, the lamb with the 144,000, the seven vials, the great whore, the call to come out of her, my people, the judgment of the great whore, until the new Jerusalem is ushered in. You see, if it's for the Gentiles, 
And if it happens on earth, it must happen in the last church age in Revelation chapter 3 under the seventh angel's message. You see, this rules out all of these wannabe newcomers, wannabe prophets, who I tell when another one shows up, just take a number and get in line. Wait your turn to be told, nah, you ain't got it. Now, again, if it happens for the Jews, it must, and I'm talking about the 144,000 here, it must happen after chapter 4, which is the going away of the bride. Amen? If it's an event for the bride in Revelation 4 to 19, then it must happen in the church ages in Revelation 1 to 3. Because that's the only time that God deals with the bride, the church. From Revelation chapter 1 through 3 is God dealing with his bride to the ages. And he also addresses the false church. Revelation 4, 1 is the rapture. Would you, would you like to go with me through this for a moment? Just kind of flip your Bible. Revelation 4, 1 is the rapture. The remainder of chapter 4 shows the throne and the one who sits upon it. Chapter 5 is the scene of redemption. Spanning from Adam's loss of the book to the coming of the Redeemer to finally all creation worships God at the conclusion of Revelation 5. All creation worships God. So it's a process. So when we look at the book of redemption and the opening of it, it starts with Adam losing it and the, the plight of man all down to the ages, Jesus coming as redeemer while, the, while God holds it in his hand, the lamb steps forth to take the book and he looses the seals, he reveals the mystery, he opens the book and he get, brings it back to the people. Are you with me? So Re- Revelation chapter 5 is the scene of redemption. Revelation chapter 6 is the showing of the symbols of the book which are revealed in the seventh angel's message in the last church age. Again, again, the opening of the seals exposes the working of Satan, the mystery of iniquity showing the working of the Antichrist as the four horse riders. The fifth seal shows the fate of the Jews who died for the testimony during the times of the Gentiles. From, and they, they're from the rejection of Christ to them finally accepting their Messiah in the sixth seal with 144,000 being filled with the same Holy Ghost the Gentile bride received. The, the sixth seal shows the tribulation and those that are saved. This happens after Revelation 4. And, and again, the multitude without number, which is the Jewish, I mean the Gentile remnant, the church, not the bride. And 144,000 and the judgment upon the earth in the great tribulation. The seventh seal covers the rapture of the bride to her coming back with Christ in the great battle of Armageddon. So it goes all the way from the breaking of the silence under the seventh angel's message and the revealing of the seven thunders to give us faith for a rapture. It raptures that bride. It continues on, ending up all things until it brings Christ back again with the bride. 
So the seventh seal is a process that goes all the way from the prophet's message to bringing Christ back again in Revelation 19. That's all the seventh seal. It spans that whole thing. Now, again, Revelation chapter 7 is the sealing of the 144,000. Revelation chapter 8 is the trumpets that gathered Israel back to their promised land. And they will be revealed to the Jews as the thunders were revealed to us by our prophet. And as he brought us out of world traditions, he will, the, 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 um, the, the great, the, the great um, two witnesses will bring the Jews out of their traditions as Brother Branham said, uh, sacrificing geese and chickens, which they didn't do, but it's just as well might have been. Right. Amen. Because the blood does not atone. Somebody help me. Right. Amen. Coming back to the real atonement, pointing them back to the real atonement. Our seventh angel does the same for us and brings us back to the real atonement. All right. Which is Jesus Christ. All right. So again, our atonement's not in the church. It's not in Rome. It's not in a denomination. Our atonement's in Jesus All right, so now, again, Revelation chapter 8 is the trumpets that gather them back to their promised land. Question and answer 64. I believe you're seeing the last thing that happened to the church before the rapture. That's exactly, I believe it, the reign is over. Just remember, just read the first three chapters of Revelation, and you'll see what's promised to the church. That's what's promised church right there, the church ages. You noticed the other day when we started them trumpets, the Holy Spirit said, that don't belong here. And he said, now, latter rain, 144,000 Jews. No, that is, that's when Moses and Elijah, that's where the miracles take place. The things, the peoples that have uh, been looking for, the Pentecostals for miracles, that's where that will take place unto them. See, that's Moses and Elijah. They will smite the earth with curses as they will. They'll close the heavens that it don't rain in the days of the prophecy. And God will stand and fight for them as he did. And he'll bring them out with a mighty hand, just like he did in Egypt, out of the isms of the world. And he'll do that. We are just to wait on the coming of the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is our revival. The rapture is our revival. And it will crescendo in our body change. In the greatest divine healing movement that's ever been. But it won't last long. And it won't be a preacher laying hands on you. What's that sudden change? When he sweeps over you. And you're changed in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. And in just a few minutes you're traveling like a thought. And then we all get together. And meet one another. And embrace one another. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And then we'll get ready for the great appearing of our Lord Jesus in the air. The world won't see him, but we will. Because we'll see him with a different set of eyes. Looking in dimensions that men have never looked in before. In mass like that. Easter seal, Brother Bradham said, 
Can't you see spirit-filled people, something's fixing to happen? Don't look for some great big universal something sweeping, nothing but the coming of the Lord Jesus. Remember, just remember the words and the promise of the Lord. All right, chapter 9. Can you turn to chapter? Is the loosen of the evil spirits. Some are out of the, year, the river Euphrates. Others uh, come, they come out of hell with torment upon the earth. The spirit of insanity that begins to move upon the earth. Are you with me? We're already seeing pre-tribulation plagues and that insanity coming in now. Is that right? Amen. Chapter 10 is a scene showing the coming of Christ, the mighty angel with the open book that was once closed. Somebody help me now. And handing that book to the bride of Jesus Christ and her eating it and prophesying again. And that happens in the last church age. Now, you can spiritualize this coming because it's not a physical return. It's not a 900-foot-tall Jesus with one great big foot on the land and the other on the sea. These are symbolic of him holding the powers of hell down where the, uh, the, the beast rises. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Rises out of the sea. That's Rome. Rises out of the earth. That's America. And he holds her down. Oh, don't you know what you're doing? You are those feet, those pillars of fire, and you're here on the earth holding down those powers. And when this bride is lifted up and her feet lifts off the earth, and the Holy Ghost lifts up off the earth, those pillars of fire, all hell breaks loose. Because then those powers can come into full fruition. This is not the physical coming. It's showing symbolically the anointing that is coming down. Did you know you are anointed by a mighty angel? Hallelujah. Christ himself finishing the mystery. Amen. Revealing it to Revelation 10, 7, the prophet of the last age. Somebody help me preach. Amen. Then the continuation of that same ministry and the bride as she eats the book for she must prophesy the same message again to every kindred and tongue and nation. And we've been doing it. Glory to God, we're part of it. Yes. Prophesying now. Revelation chapter 11 is the same anointing. If you notice, it begins with and. It is the same anointing that was upon the bride. Comes there upon the two witnesses in their ministry and the crucifixion and, and their rapture. That takes place under them. Somebody with me now? Because now the, when the bride leaves, the Holy Spirit moves right over and anoints the two witnesses, and, and they begin their ministry. All right. Amen. All right. Now, let's just stop a minute. Because I know there are those that are listening to me. They think Brother Branham is going to be one of the witnesses, maybe the Elijah, that's going to go to, to, uh, to Israel. And Brother Branham got ready to go. If you remember... How many has ever seen the, the, the video film of, of the 20th century prophet? Yes. And you see two men, Brother Cop, and, and them coming there to um, interview Brother Branham. Now, this was a big ordeal. They were spending thousands of dollars 
flying into Jeffersonville, meeting Brother Branham in his home, setting all this up, interviewing him, and getting ready for an Israel campaign. Brother Branham gets ready to go. He gets to Cairo. Louis Petrus had said, you know, if you go there, Brother Branham, now he was a, a big Pentecostal leader in Europe. He had sent over a million Bibles into Israel, New Testaments. Figure out that cost. They'd rented facilities. They'd got all of it together. Brother Branham's in Cairo. He gets that far. And he said, you know, they're, they're, they're all hepped up about this. They have sent this video all over the place. They've collected money from everywhere. They're going to have a campaign. We're going to turn Israel back to God. They'll see the sign of that prophet. He'll discern the thoughts of the heart, just like they did in, in Abraham. And they, they've always believed they're prophets. And Brother Branham, you'll come and you'll show this sign. And, and, and there will be millions of them, Jews, turn to God. And what an opportunity. He got over there and he got into, to, um, there and they were telling him, Brother Argenbright, Brother Branham, it's just going to alarm Israel and bring them out and show them the sign of the prophet. They'll believe it. And he said, I'm ready, Lord, I'm ready. He's ready to fulfill that, bring Israel back to God. And the Holy Spirit stopped him in Cairo. He said, I jumped on a plane. Now, this is no little thing. This is in the 50s. And it's no little thing to jump on a plane and go across the seas. You literally hop from little airports to airports and so on like that and finally get there. This is no little thing. And he's in Cairo. That's Egypt. He's about to make the next jump, probably into Tel Aviv. He said, he was in Cairo and he said, the Holy Spirit said, this is not your place. I'm reading, you, I'm reading it to you from the, the very sermon, recognizing your day in this message. This is not your place. God made it known it was not his place to be the prophet to Israel. This is not your time. See, you get ahead of yourself. I thought, oh my, I've come way over here. I'm going to go. And something said, stop right here. Don't you go that way. Turn on to India. Don't go that way. Go to India, but don't you go here. And I thought, why? And I walked out the hangar and I said, Lord Jesus, what does this mean? And he made known to me, no Gentile. These prophets are the one. It has to be according to Scripture. Moses and Elijah has to come. And besides, the bride hasn't been taken out of the way yet. And then prophets will return and they will do the sign of the prophet. (coughs) That's the Scripture. There it is all fulfilled perfectly. Israel as a nation will be born in one day. So for you return ministry people. The Elijah to the Jews is not Brother Branham. He was denied the opportunity to preach the trumpets even because they were not his message. 
This is for the Jews. It's not your message. You're not allowed to preach them. Come on. And let me just say out here to the never-never land out there, if you're listening, if you think one of the, you're one of the two witnesses, then, number one, you don't have the Holy Ghost yet. Number two, you're identifying yourself as not the bride, but the Jewish remnant, so you're not bride. Number three, your message is a tribulation message, and it'll never rapture the church. Number four, you have to, you have to be an Israeli and not a Gentile, and you better get over to Israel because God can't bless you and fill you with the Holy Ghost until you get in your promised land. You can't be blessed out of your promised land. Number five, and don't be thinking the name of Jesus is not effective and you got to say Yeshua because Brother Branham clearly identified that thought as a cult. And number six, and don't think you're going to reveal the thunders because they've already been revealed. And you can't reveal something that's already been revealed. It's not a mystery no more. We know what the thunders are. They were once sealed up, but now they're revealed. They were once a sealed voice, but now God has spoke out. Now we know what the thunders are. They were the mysteries of the seven seals. Amen. Once they were symbols, but now they're not symbols anymore. We have the voice. And besides, that's the seventh angel's job. And he didn't need some prophet, some apostle to come along and bring clarity because that brought only confusion and division. All right, let's go on. Chapter 12 is the war between Michael and Lucifer and the casting out of Satan and the going up of the bride. So again, if the bride is raptured, it happens right over here in the last church age at the end of it. So Satan gets cast down when? As the bride goes up. Chapter 13 is a scene that shows the beast of Rome, the beast that rises up out of America, and the image to the beast, the ecumenical spirit with its cancel culture so that no one can buy or sell without complying to their demands. Revelation 14 through 15 deals with the 144,000 during the tribulation. Revelation 16 is the vials poured out by the seven angels. Which, by the way, are not angels. They are men. Punch your neighbor and wake him up. Surely teaching don't bore you. Good thing. I want you to look at this real close. I want you to look at this. Revelation 16 is the vials poured out by the seven angels. They are stored up judgments that could not be poured out in the church ages that are reserved to be poured out on the beast in the last age. Now, God hears. So those, those old martyrs back there that says, God, you're witnessing all of this. You remember. God says, well, I can't wipe out the beast now, but I'll store this up. Because I'm going to bring judgment on those that persecuted you. 
Because I don't forget. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith God. Amen. And you know, and, and why do I say they are men? Because the last angel, the one who held the seventh vial, when, he, when, when John saw him and he was revealing things to him and showing him all kinds of things, he was, he was taking him through the judgment of the whore and all this and the, and the new city and this and that, and he fell down to worship him. And he said, don't do it, I'm a prophet. I'm one of, one of your fellow servants. Is that right? So they're men. And when the bride is having the marriage supper, the tribulation has happened on the earth. And part of our victory celebrations in heaven will be us gathering over the banister and watching an angel pour out a vial. And we'll shout and dance and glorify God as it's poured out upon the earth in the tribulation period while we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Amen. It will be, forgive me for saying this, but it'll be some of the entertainment provided at the marriage supper. I don't buy that, Brother Tillhart. Go with me to Revelation 19, verse 1. Let's just watch it. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto our God. For true and righteous are his judgment. For he had judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with his fornication and avenged the blood of his servant. And again, they said, Hallelujah. Is that rejoicing or not? Amen. And her smoke rose forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it was the voice of a great multitude. Glory to God, I'm in that multitude. You are part of that multitude. You were prophesied to be there. Amen. As the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thunder and saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed with fine linen. Clean and white for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he ends up saying, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper. Now then, so in Revelation 16 and 17, the vials are poured out, the stored up judgments. And they happen during the time that we are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. They don't happen in the church age. They happen after the rapture. Revelation 17 shows the great horror and identifies her and her daughters. Revelation 18 is the call that says, come out of her, my people. 
which again is the seventh angel's message that happens over in the seventh church age. Revelation 19 shows the marriage supper of the Lamb. The, and, the, the, and, um, and, and the marriage supper of the Lamb and the marriage of the Lamb. Amen. You say, well, I, I thought the bride was already married. Well, spiritually, that's true. You can type it both ways. But there's going to be a ceremony in heaven. Yes, that's right. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. A great marriage supper. Yes. Oh, we'll feast with the king. We'll dine as his guest. How blessed these pilgrims are. Yes. Beholding his hallowed face. Oh, I want to see him. Yes. And just look on his face. Yes. Dare to sing forever of his saving grace. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Then it shows the return of Christ, Revelation 19, at Armageddon. It hasn't happened yet. You can't spiritualize this. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen, and we're going to be a part of it, the great battle of Armageddon. Somebody said, Brother Tim, are you going to be at the battle of Armageddon? I said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Revelation 20 is the binding of Satan for a thousand years and the millennial reign. The the concluding of Revelation 20 is the great white throne judgment, the final judgment. Revelation 21 is the coming down of the holy city. Revelation 21, 2 says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the description of the city and the earth leaving time to go back into eternity. Our hope of revival is the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that coming? There's some more I want to speak about. Because I don't care how dead you are. We are in the hour of resurrection life. And I don't care how lost your children are. And dead in sins and trespasses, we serve a God of resurrection life. And the power of the resurrection is working among the bride of Jesus Christ, bringing her to the glorious resurrection. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Will you lift your hands and just worship God? Let the musicians come as we do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His plan spans all the way from time back into eternity. Back into the eighth day where there is no time. But that eternal, bright and fair. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Amen. Don't you believe that on that bright and cloudless morning? When the dead in Christ arise, when a sweet comes over us, we behold our loved ones. We feel that quickening power come over us. Mm, Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. He took a picture of you before the world was ever began in your perfection. And he said, you're going to be exactly that way. Without a flaw, without a blemish. 
a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, my. Amen. Will you just love him just for a minute? Just love him. Oh, I feel his presence right now. I feel his presence. Oh, there's hope for revival right now. The surge of the Holy Spirit to sweep to this place, to bring quickening power to, to the mechanics. Oh, so the dynamics can live and work in your life. God bless you, church. You're his people. Worship him with all your heart now. Just love him with all your soul. Jesus. In moments like these, I sing out a song. Let's sing that one. I think that's E flat, is it? In moments like these, I sing out a song. Hey Amen. You want to stand? You can. If you want to just sit there, you can. Just worship him. Whatever you do, don't stop. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my, a multitude saying hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We've seen him reign in our midst. We've seen him reign over brain bleed. We've seen him reign over cancer. We've seen him reign in hearts and lives of men and women. Let's just sing out a song to him. In moments like these. I sing out. I sing out. I believe the Lord wants to do something now. I believe He wants to do something. Won't you just water the word now with praise and thanksgiving? Thank you, Jesus.
Chosen one shall get 